morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. And if you are newer with us, I just want to take a moment and say, too, we had Suzanne up here just a couple of minutes ago, uh, and she's, I think, downstairs uh, talking to our children and Kids Adventure, and then she'll head back to Burlington uh, for another service so that she can share again. If you are newer with us here, one thing you'll learn quickly about Mount Hope is that partnering with people going around the world, uh, people that are in our backyard in Boston, but people that go around the world, uh, sharing Jesus Christ with those who don't know him, uh, that's a big deal for us. And that's something that we're really involved in. And specifically, people that are going to parts of the world uh, where we would say Jesus is, is not represented really at all. Uh, there's, a, there's just a tiny, tiny percentage of people that even know who he is. Uh, those are the people we really get behind. And so Su Suzanne is actually one of those partners that we are considering supporting. Our team is, is talking with her and, and about whether or not we can partner with her. Uh, and so if you can be in prayer for that and for Suzanne, uh, that is a great thing. There's a lot of great things that are happening at Mount Hope. And one of the things I want to just draw your attention to is if you're on our Loop email, so the Loop is our weekly email that comes out on Mondays that talks about all the happenings of Mount Hope. If you're not on that, uh, well, you can fill out that Connect card or scan that QR code. and We'll get you all uh, ready to receive the Loop. But if you, are, if you do receive that, tomorrow you're going to receive a video that's a six-month update or a mid-year update. Our annual meeting is in October, and we were talking with our board uh, a couple of months ago, and they said it'd be great to get a halfway through the year update on ministry and what God is doing. And so we've put that together. You'll see that in your inbox tomorrow at some point, or search your spam folder uh, if you don't see it there, and, uh, and you can watch that and see what God is doing. Am I the only one, or is anyone else feeling the results of losing an hour of sleep last night? Is anyone else feeling that? Is it just me? Because I'm trying to get over it. I see, I see you don't even have the energy to raise your hand. So here's the thing, all right? I'm going to ask you to do something that we used to do every single week, but we don't do it anymore because it makes people uncomfortable, and then there was a pandemic and all sorts of stuff, all right? I would like for you to stand up and just say hi to somebody, you know, fist bump them. You don't have to shake hands if you don't want to. You don't have to hug. Or just fist, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Say hello to somebody. Say you're glad to see them. Get some energy moving. Meet, learn someone's name, say hello. All right, sit down. That's enough. That's enough of that. All right. <laughs> it, is, it is, if we don't know each other, my name's Brian. I, I get the privilege of being the teaching pastor here in Belmont and the executive pastor at Mount Hope. And uh, it, is, it is good to be with you. Thanks for doing that. We've got, we've got a, a big story to cover here in, in the book of Genesis. So it's going to take some energy out of all of us uh, to be able to focus on what God has for us. And yet, uh, the closer I got to this message, the more I was feeling like God really had a message. Uh, I know it's a message for me. I know I needed to hear what God's saying through this story. Uh, and, I, and I trust that, that it'll touch your heart as well. Speaking of daylight savings, you know, it's interesting how my perspective of moving the clocks forward in spring 
has, how I prepare for that has changed over the years. And I don't know, I don't know if, uh, if, if it's changed for you. And some, some people that are in the room, uh, you don't realize this, so I need to explain something to you. Daylight savings, like the clocks didn't use to just jump forward on their own. Some of you, your entire life, the clocks had just magically, they jump forward in the middle of the night. We used to have to turn dials and take clocks off the wall and spin them around and do all sorts of stuff to make sure that we were on the right time. So it used to be before Siri and Alexa took care of it for me, it used to be uh, that for weeks, we would be talking about this. Do you, does anyone remember this? Like they would be on the news and then we would talk to each other and especially in church world, right? It didn't matter in the fall because if you forgot in the fall, you were an hour early to church. But it mattered in the spring because if you forgot in the spring, you were an hour late to church, right? So this was a big deal that we would talk about. And we would say, hey, spring forward is coming. Don't forget, you gotta set your clocks. And then we'd send each other messages and you'd call your family to say, hey, don't forget tonight, you gotta, you gotta set things forward. Now... I had no idea this was happening until yesterday I got a message from Siri that said, hey, it's daylight savings tomorrow. And I said, oh, all right, I guess it'll take care of itself. And now, now it just happens, right? And my alarm goes off earlier and I feel tired. That's how it works. And today we're going to talk about something um, that when we first get to know God, we pay a lot of attention to. It's something that stands out to us, and, and we think about it, and we talk about it. But over time, if we're not careful, it becomes something that we don't pay enough attention to. And it's one of these things that if we stop paying attention to it, like if we just totally didn't pay attention to changing our clocks at all, uh, it would have consequences. And in this thing in our relationship with God, if we actually get to the point that we forget it altogether, which is very easy to do and something that happens in the text we're going to look at today. It has some pretty unfortunate consequences for us. So we jump into these verses, and we're in Genesis chapter 30. We're going to start in verse 25 in just a couple of minutes. And in this story, we meet two people, or we see two people. And if you've been with us for a while, the last few weeks, you know we've been talking about this man that's in the Old Testament, early on in the story of the Bible. His name is Jacob. And Jacob, his grandfather is Abraham, who's really like the founder of our faith, he's called. And then we have his son is Isaac, and then he, Isaac has Esau and Jacob. And we've been looking at the life of Jacob and seeing how that even though Jacob's life can be messy at times, God's blessing that he promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob continues to move forward. This story in Genesis chapter 30 and 31 is an interesting one. Because we've already seen that, that Jacob is a, a, a bit of a deceiver. He cheats his brother out of his birthright, and then he cheats his brother out of his blessing. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you've seen that. And so he actually deceives his brother to the point that his mom, Rachel, is, is uh, his mom, Rebecca, is afraid that uh, Esau is going to kill his brother, Jacob. And so Rebecca says, uh, Jacob, you need to get out of here. Go stay with my brother, Laban. And so Jacob gets out of there so that his brother doesn't kill him. And he goes and stays with his uncle Laban. And here's what happens when he meets his uncle Laban. Is he finds out that his uncle is a lot like him. 
His uncle knows how to deceive people too. And Jacob, who's been the deceiver, now becomes the one who is deceived. And some of you know this story, and I talked a little bit about it during communion last week, where Jacob comes and he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. And he says, I'll work seven years. Because you would have had to provide a a bridal dowry in order to marry the daughter of somebody. Jacob has very little as he's run away from home. So he's saying, I'll work this off. I'll I'll, I'll work over the years for this. Jacob says, okay. Or, um, excuse me, Laban says, okay. Jacob works for seven years. His uncle tricks him and has him marry his daughter, Leah. And we won't get too much into that story. You can read it for yourself. But when Jacob finds out that he's actually uh, been tricked into marrying the wrong person, he's, of course, uh, rightly uh, confused and bothered by this. And he says, I'll work another seven years so that I can also marry your daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, okay. And so by the time we get to this story, Jacob has been working for his uncle for 20 years. He worked seven to marry Leah, seven to marry Rachel, and another six years just caring for his uncle's flocks and being a part of his family. After these 20 years, as you might imagine, Jacob says to himself, time to get out of here and start my own life. All right, I've been here long enough working for this man who has cheated me the entire way. It's time to get out. So we read in the text in verse 25 of chapter 30 in the book of Genesis, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, right? That's Joseph in the, with the Technicolor dream coat, that Joseph, all right, that we'll hear more about in the book of Genesis. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, and anyone know once Joseph is born, how many sons does Jacob have? Anyone? He's 12 sons, right? He's 11? 11 sons. And then there's 12 tribes. Well, we'll get into that in a little bit, all right? Well, not today, but soon. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I might go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If, you have, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock And keep it. Let me pass through your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. So Jacob and Laban, they come to terms. Jacob says, it's time for me to go. It's, it, everything I've worked for is yours, Laban. God has blessed you through my work, but I own none of it. 
I need to go. And Laban says, well, let me pay you for everything that you've done. And Jacob says, no, it's okay. Right? This is a, a, you can see the change happening in Jacob's heart over the years. Jacob says, no, 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 that's okay. You don't have to pay me any big wages, but let's do this. Let me take the, the miscolored animals from your flock. Let me take the animals that, that don't look like the rest, that are not as valuable as the rest. Let me take those, and you'll know very clearly if I've taken the right thing. Because the striped and the spotted and the, and the off-colored uh, animals, those will, be, those will be mine. And so you'll know that I haven't cheated you because I've taken these animals. And Laban says, good. And there's something that we see in this story about experiencing God's blessing. And if you want to experience God's blessing in your life, this is something that is true. It's a true principle, I think. That blessing is God's work, which you and I experience as we work. That blessing is God's work, which you will experience as you go and work. And I think this is an important principle, and we see this in this passage. Laban looks at Jacob and says, listen, I've learned by divination, which is a pagan ritual, but God speaks to him through that pagan ritual to Laban. Laban is not someone who fears the same God that Jacob fears. And God speaks to him through this pagan ritual, and he says, I've blessed you because of Jacob. And Jacob says to Laban, I've worked really hard, but God has done the blessing. And I think this is a really important principle that we get down before we, before we move forward in this text. Because there's two extremes that happen with, with understanding God's blessing. And this idea, I think, protects us from both of them. One extreme says, well, God's blessing comes as you let go and let God. Like, you just sit back and just God will do it. And you don't have to do anything. He's got it. And there's a sense that that is, of course, true. And yet if we apply, over-apply that to our lives, it's not a great thing. The other extreme is something that says this. Uh, God's blessing comes to those who help themselves. God helps those who helps them, help themselves. Have you heard that before? That it's really up to you. You want to be blessed, you better work for it. It's all you. You better get it done, and then you'll experience God's blessing. There's these two extremes. One that says, it's all God and none of you. And the other one that says, it's all you and very little of God. And this text reminds us of a truth that's in Scripture, and we're going to look at where it is in the New Testament in just a little bit, that God's blessing comes as God wholly works in our lives, and we wholly do the work that God calls us to do. So I had all sorts of examples written down, and then during the service this morning, God put a new one in my mind. Let me tell you something. I don't know how it's happened, but we have a worship team that should be filling Gillette Stadium, right? I don't know how this works. We have our little neighborhood church here, and we have just a crazy talented worship team up here on the stage, right? Right, Asanat? Asanat's happy about that. We do. Now, here's the thing. Seven and a half years ago, when we started meeting at this church, okay, some of you are shaking your heads that we're here and, and smirking, all right? 
we had some amazing people. And uh, we just did whatever we could. Back there where that nice little booth is where Don is sitting, there was a folding table, one of those plastic ones that folds in half. And then there were these black cables that streaked down the, down the stairs here, and, and you had to watch out and not trip on them as you walked into the sanctuary. And then we had over on each side of this stage, we had these, these poles that looked like they could topple over at any moment. And we had these borrowed um, busted up DJ speakers uh, that, that we would put up and we would plug into that system. And the best part about that system was it was all older wiring and older technology. And there's this 50,000 watt uh, radio station just down the street in Waltham. And every time we flipped on the sound system, underneath it, when we would stop talking, you could hear political pundits arguing with each other through the speakers in this room. And we would, try to, we would try to record the services, and uh, you couldn't even use the recordings because all you could hear uh, was people arguing about the upcoming presidential election on the news station that was coming through our sound system. And we have worked hard over the years. And I was thinking as we, as we were worshiping this morning, all the people that God has brought through the church over the years and everything that they've added— to what has been done. And I got to tell you, Bill Meany, the father, and Bill Meany, the son, right, have spent only, um, only the Lord, I told this to Bill Jr. just the other day, I said, only God really knows how many hours you have spent in this building, wiring and rewiring and hanging speakers and all sorts of stuff that have been done over the years. And the amount of time and energy and effort that's put into and the practice during the middle of the week that our team goes through and how they show up early on Sunday mornings and they have kids and other things going on, and some of them drive almost an hour to be here. And all of that work and effort goes into producing what is an amazing team. And I feel like if we could ever get the preaching up to par with the worship team, we'd finally have something around here, right? And so all of this work and all of this effort, who did it? Who? God. God did it. Because we experience God's blessing as he works among us while we work. This whole church and building and the seven years that have been put into it is a picture of how God blesses. It doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. That we would come into this building that was in desperate need of renovation and we would sit here and just pray and say, Oh God, fix the lights. No, we had to hire electricians and redo everything. But as we worked, God worked. And that's what happens to Jacob here. And it's the same thing for you. You pray for provision. And God said, here's a job. And as you work, God blesses. You pray for good grades. And don't you wish you could just pray before you took a test and God would give you the grade? I've tried that before. It doesn't work, right? I've tried that many times uh, throughout my schooling. It doesn't happen. But you pray to God, and God gives you the, the grace to study and to do hard work. And then you get the grade, and God does it. God blesses as you work. And so there's, we, we have to be careful, and we see this in this story. But something can happen to our hearts. And here's, the, here's what happens to Laban's heart. And this is the message, honestly, that I needed to hear. I came into this sermon thinking it was a sermon about Jacob. And as we continued to study this passage over the last couple of weeks, uh, God said, no, this is a sermon about Laban. And it's a sermon, Brian, that you need to hear. 
Because what happens in Laban's heart, I know what happens in my heart, and I'm guessing I'm not the only person in the room that this happens to. Blessing comes, and it's God's work. And it happens as we work. But here's the thing. If we ever start to feel like our work is being overlooked or undervalued, it is so easy to start overlooking the work of God. This is Laban's fatal flaw, I think, in this story. Is that we work hard. And God blesses. But if something happens where we start to feel like our work is being, our work is being overlooked not being appreciated, being undervalued, then it's easy for us to fall into a trap of overlooking and not appreciating the work of God or the blessings of God. And really there's three places where I think Laban overlooks God's work in this passage. And he does it with the sheep and the goats. He does it with his daughters, Leah and Rachel. And he does it with Jacob. Something changes in Laban's mind after he says, yeah, take the, the black sheep and take the spotted goats and the striped goats. You take them. That's good. It's been 20 years. Something changes in his heart. And he starts to say, wait, wait, wait a second. Like, I'm the dad around here. Jacob works for me. This is my money. My daughters, my employee. And so we're at the very beginning of this passage. Laban is saying, well, I have seen that God is blessing me because of Jacob. Now something shifts in his heart. Look what he, look what he does in verse 35 with the sheep and the goats. After he, he gets this whole deal with Jacob, right? But that day, this is right after he makes the deal in verse 35. Laban removed all the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of Jacob. Nope. He put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flocks. So Laban makes the deal. And then overnight... He takes all of those lambs and sheep and goats that he just promised to, to Jacob, gives them to his sons, and says, start hiking. Go, go, go. Get out of here. So Jacob wakes up. He goes down to pasture the flock, or shepherd the flocks, and all those animals are gone. And Laban doesn't just do it with the sheep and the goats. He does it with his daughters, too. He had given his daughters to Jacob in marriage. Jacob had worked for the dowry. And culture at that time would say that money should be saved in a savings account. All of the wealth that Jacob is building up for those seven years should be held aside so that when it's time for the daughters to go, the father brings that money out and says, here's the money that was given for you. Take it, build your family, build your life. God bless you as you go. But we see in, verse, in chapter 31, verse 14, that's not what Laban has done. Then Rachel and Leah 
talking to Jacob, they answered him and said, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. Or he has used up what was paid for us. Laban took all of that money, 14 years of work, 14 years of saving, and spent it all on himself. That was his money. But he didn't just do it with the sheep and the goats. And he didn't just do it with his daughters, Leah and Rachel. He also did it with Jacob. Because what happens here later in the story is that Jacob decides to go. He said, that's enough. I'm not dealing with this anymore. And in the middle of the night, he sneaks away. And Laban pursues him with intent to kill him. And when Laban finds Jacob, he says something that just reveals exactly how he feels about all of this that just a little while ago he called God's blessing. It's in Genesis 31, verse 43. Stick with me for a moment. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. I don't know about you, but this is so easy in my life to happen. I say, God, if you could just provide. God gives a job. He opens the door. And then I work. And I build. And I get promoted. And I do a project. And they put my name on a plaque. And I get an award. And then all of a sudden God comes to me and he says, you know all that I have blessed you with? I want you to be generous. And all of a sudden, I look back at God and I say, no, 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 God. This is mine. This is mine. Pray for children. Right? I was, I was thinking that this morning too. I saw Jovan and I saw Xander sit up here. Those are two babies that we prayed for as a church that God would bless us with those children. Now here they are, and we pray for children. We pray that God would bless the families in our church. And then God does, right? And those children grow up, and we invest in them, and we spend all sorts of time and energy teaching them the things that they need to know. And then all of a sudden, uh, God says, listen, I want to use them in my service. And we say, no, 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 God, these children are mine. I will protect them and watch over them. And it's so easy in our lives to do this. You prayed for those grades. God gave you the grace to study, get a scholarship, and you tell everyone, look what I did. It's so easy when we feel like our work is being overlooked to start overlooking the work of God. And we have to be careful about this because what happens to Laban happens to us. When you overlook God's work, you will find yourself separated from God's blessing. When you feel like you're being overlooked, it's easy to overlook the work of God. When your work isn't being appreciated. But here's what happens. Once we start overlooking the work of God, we start to be separated from God's blessing. And this is exactly what happens to Laban in this story. And it happens with the sheep and the goats. And it happens with his daughters. And it happens with Jacob. 
Here's what happened. Just stick with me. I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm going to tell you the story. Jacob comes down and he sees that all the goats and sheep that he was promised are gone. So he says, all right, this is what I'm going to do. He said, whenever the strongest animals begin to mate, I'm going to take a tree bark and I'm going to, I'm going to strip it so it looks like stripes. And I'm going to put it in the water trough. And when they drink the water with the striped tree bark, um, then, and then they mate, then I'll have striped animals, right? This is a little bit like how, um, you know, every time someone is pregnant in the life of the church, I hear 800 theories on whether or not they're going to have a girl or a boy based on how they look and how they're carrying and all of that stuff, right? Nobody's ever right. No one ever understands, but everyone has their theories, Okay, this is Jacob too. Doesn't know a lot about dominant and recessive genes. Doesn't know which goats and sheep are carrying the recessive genes for speckled and spotted and, and black fur and black uh, cloaks. But here, but God does the work. So all of a sudden, not because of the striped wood, but because of God, the best of the best in Laban's flocks start producing these animals that are striped and speckled and spotted. Sheep that are black. And Jacob starts collecting them. And he starts getting very wealthy. And he has a dream where God says, Jacob, I'm doing this for you. I'm separating out Laban's wealth and I'm giving it to you. In fact, in Genesis 39 verse 9, Jacob is explaining the dream to his wives, and he says, so this is what's happened. God has taken away your father's livestock and given it to me. And Laban starts to be separated from the blessing. But it doesn't happen just with the sheep and the goats. It also happens with Laban's daughters. Because the culture at the time determined that it was up to the daughters when they were ready to leave their father's household. As long as the daughters wanted to stay, culturally speaking, Jacob needed to stay in, in their father's land. But because Laban squandered their inheritance, squandered their dowry, they say this to Jacob when Jacob says, I want to leave, in verse 16 of chapter 31. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So Jacob, do whatever God has told you. We're with you. You want to run? We will run. And then Laban pursues Jacob with intent to kill him. But before he can catch up to Jacob, God comes to him in a dream. And in verse 24, we read this. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. God comes to Laban and says, Don't you touch Jacob. He's who I'm blessing, not you. And we have to be careful about this reality in our lives. Give me just a couple more seconds here, because I want to tell you how this works in my life, and I want you to explore how it works in yours. When I feel like my work is being over, overlooked, it's easy for me to overlook the work of God. But here's the thing. If I start overlooking the work of God, then I'm going to miss out on experiencing God's blessing. It happens to Laban. It can happen to me. And here's how it works in my life sometimes. And I'll give you an example. When I was in um, undergraduate school, I went to a school called Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa, Orange City, Iowa is a town of about 2,500 people 
uh, who immigrated from the Netherlands to Northwest Iowa, I don't know, generations ago. And I'll tell you, you may never have heard of Northwestern College, but Northwestern College is the most prestigious college in all of Orange City, Iowa. All right, I can promise you that. <laughs> While I was there, there was a church in town called First Reformed Church. That's where everybody went to church. And uh, everybody in a town like that still goes to church these days. And we would go there, and there was the senior pastor. He knew everything. He did all the preaching. He was a great guy. I really enjoyed learning from him and sitting under his teaching. And then there was Kevin, Kevin DeYoung. Kevin had just graduated seminary. He was in his mid-20s. Um, he was like, you know, we don't have like this situation in our church, but he was like the announcement boy. And, uh, and like did some prayers sometimes, but he would like get up and, and do some, some things in the middle. And, and, but everyone wanted to hear from the, from the senior pastor because Kevin was young and Kevin didn't really have, you know, that, all that experience and, and he was just, you know, new to town and all sorts of stuff. And uh, I remember seeing Kevin uh, in the services and he would come and do his thing and then he would go. And, and yet, you know, really we just, we wanted to hear from that, that senior leader. So about 15 years ago, I went, I went 15 years, fast forward. I was sitting at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary for a conference just right up here on the North Shore. And um, this was a conference honoring Haddon Robinson. Now, if you don't know who Dr. Haddon Robinson uh, was, he's since gone on to be with the Lord. He was uh, really the premier preaching professor and teacher for decades. Uh, many names that you know that you're hearing on TV and the radio sat in his classes in different seminaries, in Denver Theological Seminary, in Dallas Theological Seminary, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And um, uh, Time Magazine named him one of the top, most influential preachers of the 20th century. And so as he was retiring from Gordon-Conwell, there was this big conference to honor Dr. Haddon Robinson. And there were all sorts of names. I, I remember sitting down, and it was going to be three days, and I was really excited to go and hear all these amazing preachers. And I remember sitting down and looking at the conference plan with all the plenary sessions. And there was Dr. Tony Evans, and I thought, oh man, this is going to be great. And there was Alistair Begg, who I love listening to preach because he's got that Scottish accent, which makes him sound smarter. And, and he has all of these things. And then I got down to Kevin DeYoung. And I thought, Kevin DeYoung? I'm like, that can't be like Kevin, right? Like Kevin, the, the announcement guy from First Reformed Church in Orange City, Iowa? Like there's no possible way that's the same Kevin DeYoung. And so I did some, a little Googling there in my seat in the chapel. Sure enough, Kevin DeYoung. I mean, here's what happened. Kevin moved on, went on to pastor another church, now has written over 25 uh, books that are published, uh, has pastored a number of churches around the country. But here's what happens to my heart in that moment. You're a better person than me. This wouldn't happen to you. All right? I see that name on that planner, and I look up and I see it's the same Kevin DeYoung. You know what happens in my heart? I think to myself, what? Like, this guy's no better than me. Like, he gets to preach at this conference? Are you kidding me? Like, Kevin from Orange City, Iowa gets to preach up here? This is, like, ridiculous. I can't listen to this guy. I know this guy when he was just the announcement boy at First Reformed Church in Orange City, Iowa. Like, there's no possible way this guy has anything to say to me. And I don't know if that happens in your heart, but that kind of stuff happens in my heart. It's hard 
It's easy when the blessing comes through you to celebrate all God is doing. It's easy when we're talking about all the work that God has done in Mount Hope Christian Church in Belmont to celebrate God's blessing. But when God brings blessing through somebody else and it feels like your work is overlooked, it's easy to start overlooking the work of God. I mean, here's the reality, and if, you, and if you say it outside of this room, I'll deny it. I've read a number of books that Kevin DeYoung has written, and they're really, really helpful. He's written a bunch of articles online that are also really helpful. But it's so easy for me to get in this mindset where I overlook the work that God's doing and the blessing that God's bringing because I feel like my work is overlooked. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close out our service this morning. And I want you to think about something with me. Because in your life, God brings about blessing as you go about your daily work. But there are times in your life where you start to feel underappreciated and like no one's paying attention to what you're doing. And even God is not seeing how much energy and effort you're putting in. And so we begin to overlook and we forget to thank God for all he's doing and all that he's done. And this morning, I'm, I'm imploring you to be careful. Be careful that you don't overlook the blessing that God has in your life. Be careful that you don't overlook the work that God is doing in your life. Because if we overlook that, we run the risk of starting to be separated from experiencing the blessing of God. I love the way Andrew said it this morning during his announcements. Right? He said, he said uh, listen, we are of a kingdom mindset. We're not just of the mindset that we're going to build this church. We want to help build the church. That's the mindset we need as a church. And when we hear of the church across town that's growing and reaching people, that we celebrate just as if we are growing and reaching people. That we thank God for the work that he's doing. And how do you keep that balance in your life? That's the big question. How do you keep the balance? The way to make sure you keep the balance between your work and God's work is worship. Worship. Coming back, seeing all the provision, and going into worship and saying, thank you, Lord. Coming back and seeing your children and your family and going back to God and saying, thank you, Lord. Seeing a new movement in the church and going back and saying, not us, God, but you. It's your work. I've been reading this book recently called Deeper by a guy by the name of Dane Ortland. He's a professor at Wheaton College. And as I read this book, I realized that he's younger than me. I had to fight that battle again. Uh, <laughs> but there's a chapter in this book that just really helped me. He's talking about, he's talking about the, the phrase in Scripture that defines your mind relationship with Jesus Christ more than any other phrase. And it's not adoption as sons and daughters. It is this. He said over 200 times the New Testament says that we are united with Christ. That we are one with Christ. 
And that is the number one way that your relationship with Jesus Christ is defined in the New Testament, that we are one with Christ. And as the great St. Augustine said, he said, you should live your life praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on you. Live your life praying as if everything depended on God and working like everything depended on you. And the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, he said that in our relationship with God, we are both wholly active and wholly passive. That we are working our tails off, trying to do the work that God has called us to do, but we are passive in the sense that we understand that nothing will happen unless God does it. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 recognizes this. And in that book, he says this. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with with me. I worked harder than everyone, Paul said. But you know who did it? God. Since some of you are sitting here feeling like you're working so hard, and that the blessing isn't coming. Keep going. God is at work. And some of you are feeling like all your efforts, all your energies are are not being acknowledged by God or by others. Take a moment and worship him for what he is doing. Don't forget the work that he has done. Because to experience God's blessing, you and I need to work like it depends on us and worship like it depends on God. You wonder as you come in here on Sunday mornings why some people are smiling and closing their eyes and lifting up their hands because they get it. They get it that this is about what God has done, not about what we have done. done. And we're not here to worship so that God might come and do something in us. We are here to give God glory and honor for all the work that he is doing in our lives. And so as we close this time together, and I've realized I've, I've preached longer than I typically do. Let's worship God. What is God doing in your life? What work is he doing that is worthy of praise? Where are you experiencing his blessing? Let's stand and worship him together. Would you stand and let's honor our God and worship him?